0: I believe we're all equipped to grow. God wants us to grow. This year we've looked at discipleship and uh, we've looked at growth. But I want to talk about this morning about that you are equipped for growth. Whether you believe it or not, I believe God has equipped you to grow. He's given you everything you need to grow. And uh, we'll look at that in a moment. But I've got to be honest, sometimes, especially when I first came into church, I thought, how can you God use me in the church? You know, how can knowing a bit of my background... How can God use me in church? Because I'm not really good enough yet. Does anybody feel like that? Or, you know, I I drink too much. Or I smoke so God can't use me. And all the smokers are going, I'll just sit up a minute. But, you know, or I've got too much debt. I think I had, what did I have? £35,000 worth of debt. Sarah's doing that, yeah. I had thirty five grand worth of debt when I met Sarah. And Sarah thought, you know, I'm a teacher. I've, I've got a good one here. And I explained all the stuff behind that there was a lot of problems, personally, and debt. And, you know, but that didn't stop me coming to church and God using me. But many of us have many excuses. We're not good enough. We're not as equipped as everybody else. So we haven't got enough talent. We've got many excuses that we use not to grow in church or not to be a part of god's plan and god purposes but when i look at the bible i don't find perfect people in the bible that god uses anybody else found one apart from jesus right i don't find perfect people in the bible maybe you found one maybe you study more than me Right, And and you found a perfect person. But when I look in the Bible, I don't find perfect people because there's no perfect people. There's no perfect people in the church. There's none in the world. So God's stuffed on this planet if we need perfect people. Would you agree? And when I look, I find not just not perfect people, I find messed up people in the Bible that God uses. Rahab, a prostitute. God uses a prostitute in the Bible... A lap dancer, that's today, you know, imagine in the church, a lap dancer preaching, and and how would people feel towards that? Yet God uses a lap dancer in the Old Testament, not only does he use them, he actually, they become the great, 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 great grandmother, mother, 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 right, of King David and Jesus Christ. Get your head around that one, a lap dancer. So there's no excuses, is there, to be used or to help grow God's kingdom. And sometimes we come in church you think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not committed enough or I'm not, I've got all these reasons why I can't grow. And actually, I don't think God looks at us that way. He doesn't look at all the excuses. He doesn't look at all the problems and think, I can't. i would written some down. I'm, I'm too messed up. I'm divorced so God can't use me. What a lie that is. I get angry and lose my temper so I'm not ready to be used for God. I've been in jail or I've been in trouble with the law. God can't use me, or I've watched something I shouldn't on the internet, so God can't use me. I can't come to church because I'm not holy enough, I'm not perfect enough, but they're just all excuses, because God can use you wherever you are. If he can use a prostitute to establish his kingdom, then he can use me and you. With all our imperfections, with all our problems, God can still grow you and use you in the kingdom of God. Would you agree? Otherwise, we're stuffed and God's stuffed. And, um, you know, the Bible talks about the grace of God. Paul writes about it. God's grace is sufficient. Jesus Christ does enough for us. Wherever you're at this morning, you think, oh, I, I can't grow or I can't do this. And we'll come across many things that we'll do. We'll make mistakes in life. But God's grace is sufficient for that. For you to carry on, for you to go again, get plugged back into the church. Whatever that means, God's grace is sufficient for you to grow again. So how do we... How do we do that now? Does anybody like fancy dress? No. See, some of us don't like fancy dress. I've only ever been once, one fancy dress. I think it was at York, actually I went you and I was Austin Powers years ago. Can you remember? I went. I was, it was the only time I've ever. I thought I was a very good Austin Powers. I don't recommend that today, church. You know, I'm not saying that that's that's what you should dress as. And and you know, and all these things I've written down here, by the way, I'm not I'm not saying those are things you should carry on doing. We don't say in the church, you know, carry on being a smoker, God will still use you. No, no, we want you to grow and we want you to be healthy. God doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't want you to be in debt. But they're not excuses to stop us. And you know, sometimes I like going fancy dressed and other times I don't. But if we're honest, if we turned up as fancy dress every day, how silly would we, look? If you went work, I, I quite like it. I go out at a party, I dress up fancy dress. you know, Austin Powers, whoever you want to be. And you turn up, you have a great party, you have a great time. You know, you're in the, you're in the zone, you're in the mood, fancy dress. And it's all right on a one off. But if you did it every day, we'd start looking at you and going, Do you know what? You're looking a bit silly today. I've got to be honest with you. You've got to put that, you know, you've got to put that Flintstones outfit away today. I know you love Bam Bam, but stop dressing like Bam Bam. <laughs> right? You've got to put somebody to speak to you. Yeah, I think sometimes we do that because we try and be somebody that we're not. And the only way God's going to bless us is if we come and be real and be ourselves. And we can come and say, oh, no, I've got it all together. I'm doing well. But no, you haven't. Because none of us have got it all together. So when we come and we come to church and we open up to God and we read the Bible, let's be real, eh? Let's be ourselves and let's come as we are. Because God can only bless you, really, as you. God says he wants to bless you. He's not blessing austin powers or he's not blessing bam bam he's blessing you so let's be you so if if you're you and fully you then you can be blessed in who you are in you so let's remove all the excuses because i don't think god looks at the excuses because he looks at us differently we're going to look at that in a moment but you've got to be you you've got to be real you've got to be open you've got to be transparent and begin to be you because if you're you We'll get you fully and we'll get the blessing of what God's made you to be in this world. So you've got to be you. But you know, I'm going to share something now. This, this is something that I've learned briefly in my experience of life. And I'm sure there's many people in this room that have you know, paid the price for this even more than me. And I know in scripture we're going to look at somebody in a minute who paid even more of a price to learn this lesson. So do you think it's a good lesson to, to listen to? Are you ready to listen to it? If it costs people money, maybe we should listen to it. You know, sometimes we can come in church and we say lots of things, but we don't actually listen. We say, oh, that's okay, but do we really listen to it and say, do you know what, I'm going to listen to that today? Because that costs somebody something. So if I, what we're going to do now is we're going to send the buckets around, and you're all going to put 50 pound in, right? <laughs> She's going, right? She's really doing it. Everybody else has realised we're not really doing it, but man is just, I'm up, I'm gone. Right? Believe anything. Jesus says, do it, we do it. Oof, we're gone. Right? But if I sent a bucket round now and said, right, this word now is going to cost you £50, you'd all sit up on the edge of your seat going, well, I've paid £50 for this, so I'm going to have this. True? If I said £1,000, you'd be standing up, and if it wasn't a good word, you'd be after me. Wouldn't you? But people have paid the price for these, to learn these lessons. So maybe we should listen to them. And maybe we should listen to God's word and what Jesus did because he paid a price that's far greater than any of us can pay. And he keeps giving us his message. He keeps speaking to us and he wants us to take it on board and learn the lessons so that we don't have to be in debt, so we don't have to be a prostitute, so we don't have to be in chains. But Jesus has paid for it and he's saying, Look, I've put more than 50 pound in the pot. Are you ready to listen to me? So are you ready to listen to him? Are you ready to listen to this and take this with you? And this is the message. This is the thing I want to say today. It's this. God doesn't see your life as you see it. Well, I'm all messed up. Well, you're looking at your life how you see it. God doesn't see it like that. God doesn't see you as you see you. God sees you, what you can become and grow into. And you say, I'm never going to be this. Because you keep looking at your life and God doesn't see it like that. God sees your life, not as you see it. And the reason I think sometimes we limit ourselves and we don't get fully into who God wants us to be and fulfill his plan and his purpose, we don't grow because we don't realize that God sees us differently. We still see ourselves in this broken world and you know the, the way treat, people have treated and how it's affected us, but God sees us differently than we see ourselves. That's the hope that we have. And very often we look at ourselves and think, I'm never going to do this. Or I can't because I'm not good enough. Or I can't because I'm not loved enough. And God's saying, I don't see you like that. I really don't see that. I see you differently than you see yourself. So will you trust me in how I see you and what I want to speak into you and what I want to get you to believe in yourself? He doesn't see you as you see yourself. So we have to change the way we see ourselves in terms of growing into what he wants us to become rather than what we think we are. It's good, isn't it? So we're going to look at somebody who learned this lesson and paid the price for it and tried to pass on the wisdom to somebody else. So let's read Genesis 48. It's a a large scripture, but I'm going to read it because it's important to understand. And this is what's happened here is Joseph has been to Egypt. He becomes top man or Pharaoh's right-hand man. And at the end of his life, he's still in Egypt. He realizes his two sons, he wants the blessing of Jacob, his father's blessing upon their two sons. So this is what happens. This was really important culturally that the blessing of the father went on to the sons. And Joseph understood this and he wanted the grandfather's blessing upon his children. So this is what happens Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill, and he, so he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel, that's, that's Jacob, that's what the, God renamed him, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me in Luz. In the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, "I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you." Now then, so Jacob understands the blessing what God gave him, and he made him fruitful, and God Jacob understands this blessing, and he's trying to communicate it and pass it on. To Joseph's sons, and he says this: Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Padam to my sorry Rachel, died. Sorry, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way. A little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons of God. Sorry, they are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me so I may bless them. So here's the blessing he wants to bless them with. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age. And he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him. And his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them. Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh, look at the side he's taken, really important. I'll say, read that again. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down to his face to the ground and Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left, he's the youngest, and Manasseh onto, on his left side, which is Israel, Jacob's right. He brought them close to him. So he puts Ephraim, on Jacob's left, because he's the youngest. And Manasseh, who's the oldest, gets the biggest blessing onto the right hand. Are you with me? You still, you know, you paid 50, you're going to pay £50 pounds for this at the end, right? So you've got to listen to it. Are you ready? But Israel reached out his right hand. Here we go. Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head. Though he was the younger and crossing his arms... He put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even Manasseh, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. So he swaps over his hands to use the usual custom of putting the blessing onto the firstborn. Then he blessed. Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. And may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand and he moved it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. It's kicking off, isn't it? We went to a wedding yesterday, right? And the kids are so tired. Today, guess what they're doing? They're doing more than this. They're kicking off, they're tired. This is a worse situation, I think. But his father refused. I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, in your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh." So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. So culturally, the right hand was significant. We can read in the Bible, God, when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he seated him at the right hand of the throne of God. It's, it's the place of blessing, it's the place of authority, it's the place of rule, it's the place of the person who will take responsibility for the family. So Ephraim, who was the second born, is now becoming the responsible one who will take responsibility to carry on the name and the blessing. It isn't just a quick fix, give me a blessing, it takes bigger responsibility to carry the inheritance and it's given to Ephraim, who's the youngest, instead of Manasseh. Am I making sense? So this was not only a blessing, it was a great responsibility that Jacob was giving to Ephraim instead of Manasseh. But Joseph was like, "In a man, you've got it wrong. He's the firstborn. You should be giving it to Manasseh, not Ephraim. And then Jacob says, no, 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 you're wrong. I understand, I know. So the father says, I see how you see, but I see it differently. I know. Let me explain to you. And he puts them differently because he sees something that Joseph doesn't see. Just like I said earlier, God sees us different than we see ourselves. And on this occasion, the father understood something and saw them differently than the, what the, the Joseph, their natural father, saw them. The grandfather saw something different because... He was experienced in life and he'd gone through things and learned them the hard way. Am I making sense? So the right hand was significant because it held the blessing, the inheritance, and it was important for them to carry that on. But the problem here we have is with Joseph. Because like most of us, we see our lives and from our experience of life, that's how we see ourselves. So Joseph named his two sons Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh first, that means this, God delivered me. So Joseph, if you know the story, he went through horrendous time, mistreated by his brothers, put in prison, uh, was uh, accused of rape and, you know, just real difficult times. And eventually God raised him up and put him at the right hand of Pharaoh. Well, this is how Joseph saw his life. Joseph saw his life as a person that God had delivered him. Therefore, he named his first son Manasseh. God delivered me. His second son, he named him, God made me fruitful. I'm making sense. Are you still with me? You've paid 50 pounds for this, so, you know, at the end of the meeting. So Joseph saw his life like this. The mighty hand of God has delivered me, then made me fruitful. Therefore, I rule over Israel. I am at the right hand of Pharaoh and I'm ruling and I'm the main man but Jacob didn't see it that way. Jacob switched it over. Jacob saw that God had made him fruitful then delivered him. I'm making sense. You say, well, what, what, what does that mean for me? We see ourselves like this. God is Get me out of here. I'm a Christian. God, solve this problem for me. God, deliver me. God, deliver this situation. God, I'm praying that you will sort this situation out. And God kind of does it like this. No, I want to make you fruitful. Because if I make you fruitful, you'll get delivered anyway. So you're saying, well, God, sort my debt out. I come to church. God sort my debt out, sort my problems out. And God's saying, well, let's go back and let's put these principles in place. And as you do that, you'll begin to get fruitful. And before you know it through hard work and perseverance and pressing on, you'll begin to become fruitful and deliver yourself out of debt. I'm making sense. And we see ourselves, God, get me out of this because I'm struggling. And God's saying, no, I've left that situation like that. So you become fruitful. And we've got to burst out of it and become fruitful because God's given everything for growth. Making sense? This is discipleship. This is how God sees us. We see ourselves the other way around. Jesus Christ came to save us and rescue us and get us out of this place. And God's saying, no, I want my glory and my light in this place so that people will be drawn to you and be drawn to me. It's not about getting out. It's about becoming fruitful in. And becoming fruitful in, you'll break out. Jacob saw it differently. Why? Because he'd seen his own life. He'd seen him trying to con his own father, Isaac, by fancy dress. He dresses up. You know the story, he dresses up like his brother and tries to cheat for an inheritance. And what happens? He has a right chaos of life. And you know he doesn't trust. And he's on the run. It's not fruitful. And he knows it's the wrong way around. So he's learnt the hard way. Then Joseph... We look at Joseph's life we see Joseph mistreated we see him you know abused by his brothers you know his brothers lie to his father telling him he's dead he's put in slavery put in prison accused of rape and you think god deliver me god get me out of this place but Joseph was being made fruitful in that place joseph's heart and attitude in being accused of rape and being put in prison misjustice over his life god was making him fruitful as he he looked at the condition of his heart and his attitude through it all god was making him fruitful in that place that's why jacob said no it's ephraim first fruitful then it's deliverance am i making sense so many of us, were in situations where we think, right, God, you've got to get me out of this today. We should be praying this. God, make me fruitful in this today. God, give me strength today. God, give me wisdom today. I know I'm in this situation. It's difficult, but God, I need your strength today. I need your peace today. I need your presence today. I need your strength today. And God, as I press on, make me strong and make me fruitful so I can break out and break through this situation so that the situation, you know, in it, doesn't dictate to me who I am, but in you, I know that I'm loved. I know that I'm loved even though I get, mis- I get abused or people say things against me or put me down just like Joseph. What God's doing is he'll use it for good. And it's our responsibility to look at our hearts and our attitudes and the words that we say and our actions to demonstrate Christ in us so that we can become fruitful and break out of the situation. I think this is a good message. God doesn't see your life as you see it. He sees something else, what he's doing in your life. Where's 50 pounds. I think we'll take an offering at the end. I'm just kidding. We are taking an offering at the end, but you don't have put 50 pounds in. And the point in this is this. Fruitfulness precedes deliverance. And Joseph didn't quite understand this. He thought that God had delivered him and then put him at the right hand of Pharaoh. No, God was making him fruitful in all the difficulty so that when he got to the place at the right hand of Pharaoh, he understood responsibility. He understood that God had made him fruitful, dealt with his attitude. So that when his brothers came back to him, all of that wrong and hurt and pain, he was able to say to his brothers, I forgive you. God meant it for good. What's that about? And he was able to deliver Israel from a famine at the end of his fruitfulness. And many of us, I think, look at our lives and think, I want deliverance. God, I'm praying for this situation. And there's nothing wrong with that. And there's moments in life where we do have deliverance. We do have breakthrough. And we believe God's word. And we believe the preaching, you know, that God breaks yokes and all that kind. And we break the power over people's life. I get that. But God, I think, sees us in a place where he wants us to be fruitful so that we can experience deliverance out of our situations. That's what God's the call on our lives, to be fruitful. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. Still with me. Fruitfulness brings deliverance. We want a quick fix. Today's society, everything's quick. I can just click online and I've got it. We've got Amazon Prime. Now you get Amazon Prime, you get free next day delivery. Don't even have to pay for it with Amazon Prime, although we're paying for Amazon Prime. But, you know. It's like they're all in competition. Who can get the best thing? You know, Google's at it. They're all at it to get you the best deal and get it as quick as you can at the best price and get it now. When I read the Bible, I don't see that. I see it a day at a time. I see God being patient with us, taking us through life to teach us patience, to teach us perseverance, to create fruitfulness in our lives on a daily basis. And I'm sorry if that's not what you want to hear, but I think that's how God sees our lives. And we're in situations, and most of them, we're in the mess because we've got ourselves in the mess, if we're honest. And I do believe God delivers people. I know I had deliverance ministry when I first got saved; dramatically healed me and changed my heart and changed my life. But what then happened with me? For about three years, I kept saying, "God, fix me and get me out of this." I had a deliverance mentality. God delivered me so he can deliver me, deliver me, deliver me. And then I realised it's not working. Then I realised I had to be fruitful. And I had to grow in the fruits. I had to grow in who I am in God rather than just God, get me out of here, give me a quick fix. It doesn't happen. He wants us to be fruitful and then bring fruit into this world. You know, many of us, we can look for a, a new job, a promotion, financial breakthrough. If I get a friend or a spouse, that'll be the breakthrough. You know if my kids come back to church that'll be the breakthrough, that'll be the fix that'll be the deliverance and all those things are good, we want those things but they're not primarily the first thing that we need we need fruitfulness and maybe if you get fruitfulness you'll get the new job maybe if you get fruitfulness your kids will come back to you maybe if you continue being fruitful your your lives will demonstrate God's fruit in your life and you'll draw people back to church, just a thought so what can we do if we've what can we do? You say, this is great, and you know, I want to be fruitful. What can we do? Really simple. Bless someone. Simple as that. You've got the power to grow in God's blessing. If God says, I put you at my right hand, or I give you my blessing, I speak it as a child, my blessing over you, how are you going to do that? Bless someone. How are you going to bless someone? Be creative. I can serve somewhere, I can help out, I can do something, I can go out of my way to do something that helps someone and blesses someone. How do you do that? Just be fruitful. Bless someone, be kind, put it into action and begin to do it. And what happens is, it changes you from the inside out. Bless someone, serve someone. And I have to say, this is my favourite. This is, this is me personally, this is where I have discovered my fruitfulness, planted in God's house. I've not found it anywhere else. And it's always because I keep putting my life into God's house. I put myself under authority. I put him under his word. God, I'm here to serve you. It's not about me. What do you want me to do? Opportunities come up. I grab hold of them and I've discovered that, under that, as God's blessing. It's called the Shekinah of God, the Shekinah glory that David discovered. And if you want to discover it, just keep putting your life into God's house, serving God's house, and I believe you get the Shekinah glory of God, God's presence in your life on a daily basis as you look to serve him and serve his kingdom. David wanted it. He was like, one thing I ask, this is what I ask that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He knew something of dwelling in God's house and God's presence. It wasn't a building, it was God's spirit. It was, it was being a part of the body of Christ and dwelling in that. And as you connect to that, God's blessing flows into you as we serve one another as the body of Christ. David understood it in the Old Testament and it's here today as the body of Christ. So when we connect to the body of Christ and we model that, we all get blessed by one another and we discover God's presence through our gifts our talents and everything that's a bit off thingy but you say sometimes i don't feel like i'm growing listen when my kids grew up i remember thinking looking at them as babies when are the teeth going to come and i kept thinking at a sudden moment oh, all the teeth going to come is our child going to grow up with gums and i'm like what am i going to say to people yeah we just feed them this because they, they they've got a problem and I had a moment thinking, are oh, their teeth not going to grow? And then i go, this is grace. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? You'd, like be, you'd be like, oh, you know what I mean? And it got gums. Listen, God's put something in you to grow. And you think, where is it? It's in there, baby. And it's going to come out as you bless people and you put his word into practice. You will find that it begins to come out. As you follow what Jesus is asking you to do, forgive people, bless people, give of yourself. It's in you and it's coming out like teeth in a baby. You say they're not coming out yeah, Yeah, and it's hurting in church. Yeah, it's hurting because there's something in you that's coming out. Are you going to commit? Are you going to dedicate? Are you going to be somebody who puts their stake in the ground and said, "I am in this for life"? At least i um, the best thing I ever did. I committed to God's house. I committed to here. I mean, how good's that? I am going to be committed to this. I am going to be committed to Jesus. I am committed to serving in His house and in part of His kingdom. And I'll guarantee this is what happens: them teeth will start come through. That that's in you, that substance of Christ in you will begin to come out of you as it grows and it pushes through them gums and you say, this is hurting, I've really got to forgive people. Yeah, yeah, forgive people and let's grow together. Let's expand the church, let's grow together as them teeth come out. It's good, isn't it? I never brushed my teeth as a kid, terrible example I am. i got so many feelings and all that. But anyway, that's another story. Okay, another example is this one. I'm going to finish with this in a second. You know, have you ever walked down the street and seen trees that have been there for probably, you know, 40, 50 years? Or you go through the shopping center, if you go through the pedestrianized area in in Hanley or a local, you know, wherever you're from, a pedestrianized area within the city center, and they've put like these metal grids around a tree. Have you seen them? And there's like a big space. And then they plant this little tree in there, don't they? And then you go back about 15 years later, and the grids like that. And you're like, who planted that stupid tree there? Who f- fancy putting a grid that small there and putting a tree in there? Well, you walk down the road and you see the trees and the, and the pavements like that. And you're like, who's stupid person p- planted this tree here? And that's a little bit like what God does with us. He puts a seed in our hearts. He puts the Word of God in our lives for us to water it and think on it daily and eat of it and think of it and put it into practice. And before you know it, you begin to grow. You begin to get stronger on the inside. You get a peace and a presence that you've never known before. And the things that have pushed down on you, the concrete that's been there for years, you begin to ex expand and move the concrete you begin to get a bigger person and say I'm not limited by this stuff anymore because God is in me greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world and as you begin to grow like a tree planted at the side of a river you expand in the things of God in your fruitfulness and begin to get deliverance out of the things that have fastened you good eh I'm gonna read a scripture from Isaiah ten verse twenty-seven. And people will often use this scripture. I've heard it quoted from preachers and different people, and you know, I think it can mean sometimes, you know, that the anointing they'll often say breaks the yoke. And a yoke in the in the Bible was where an ox would would pull the plough, and on the ox you'd have a thing around its neck known as a yoke. And depending on the size of the ox, you'd need a different size yoke and the yoke would go around eventually it would wear it would, it would hurt and they'd have to change the, the, the yoke on the ox I'm going to read this scripture because in some versions it says the anointing breaks the yoke you may have heard that God's anointing breaks the yoke okay well the translation there probably isn't the best translation because I'm going to explain what it means it says this on the NIV in that day It's really talking about Jesus Christ. In that day, their burden will be lifted from your shoulders. Their yoke from your neck. The yoke will be broken because you have grown so fat. You don't often hear people saying you can grow fat in church, right? Why? This word here, grown so fat, we get the word shaman. It means... Basically, oil or anointing. That's where we get it from. But the better translation is the fat of the ox. The fat of the ox grows and grows and grows. And as the ox grows and grows and grows, it breaks the yoke off its neck so it becomes free from the yoke. Making sense? So the oil or the anointing or the better translation is fat. As you grow in the things of God, you begin to break them things off your neck, baby. It's time to get up. It's time to get hungry for God's Word. It's time to devour it like a food that you've been searching for and hungry for all the, all the days of your life. And it's time to eat it, digest it, put it into practice and break them yolks off your neck. And you say, well, you don't know what my life is like. You don't know what I've been through. No, but God sees your life differently than you see it. It's time to stop looking at your past, your history, your things that have gone on and begin to see it like God sees it. Jacob understood this when he looked at Joseph. He understood that God wants to make you fruitful so that then you could be delivered. And God's saying, come on, you can do it. I've put more than teeth in you, baby. I've put some of my anointing, my word, my son, the gift of the Holy Spirit inside of you that I paid more than 50 pounds for I gave my life for I died on a cross that you, you could have me each day and grow in the things of me and break them yokes off your back so that you can testify of the good news of the gospel of the power of God that is available for each and one of us today are you ready to grow? God has equipped you for growth he's given you his word He's poured out His Holy Spirit so that He can dwell with you every day. He can comfort you. He can strengthen you. He can nudge you when you need nudging and walk in the truth of what God's got for you. It's your choice. And I'm done. So we're going to take an offering for 15. No, we're not really. <laughs> Is that okay? God wants you to break the things that have limited you. Three quick things that you can do. Accept. That you're not perfect, but God sees you different. So God sees you different. He sees you as a son and a daughter, what he wants you to become. What he wants you to become. So here's the second thing. So think like that. You're not perfect, but God wants you to see as he sees you different. And the second thing, because you can't do this if you don't do this, is to commit to growing. It's all in you. God's given you everything to grow, to break them yokes, to smash them, to rise up, to become more than a conqueror. And as you do that, he'll give you even more. But you have to say, and decide in your heart, I'm going to commit to growing. I'm not going to stay here and settle. Even though there are things that will tell me I'm not able to, I'm not good enough, God says he sees me differently and I'm going to choose to commit to grow. Grow in the things of God. Grow in the goodness of God. Grow in the kindness of God. I am going to commit to do it and I'm going to do it. Let us pray. You know it takes day, night, little by little, and as you do that, I believe you'll break yokes. You may have a moment when you know something's changed in your life. You might not. You might look back and go, "Do you know what? I can't believe my life has changed. How did it change? Day by day, little by little, just like when you feed a child, you don't get all the food and stuff it all in in one go because you want them grow." You just give them a little bit at a time, day by day by day. And before you know it, they're six foot tall. How did that happen? Where did that go that time? And God's saying, listen, you're my children. You're my sons. You're my daughters. Choose to follow me. Choose to listen what I say and make a commitment to grow daily. Grow in the things of God. So Father, we just pray right now, people in this room, God, as they open up their hearts right now, that God, you're speaking to them. Holy Spirit, you're speaking to them. You know where you want them to grow. You know what what you want them to become. Father, I just pray that each person in this room, if they've got a history, a past, that they'd, they'd recognise they've made mistakes, but God, they'd see themselves as you see them. They'd accept, God, that they're not perfect and say, do you know what? My God sees me different. My God paid for my sin. My God loves me. My God champions me. My God cheers me on. And God, I pray for each person in this room that their spirits would be strong. They would be strong in you. They would be strong in love. They would have a determination to push on, to press through, to become all that you're calling them to be. You know, there's a call on your life, church. People in this room, some of you know that you've been called by God. You've been called by God to be fruitful, you know, and it's a responsibility in life, not to just go through life, but to take that responsibility and say, God's called me, I'm going to serve God all the days of my life and I'm going to be fruitful. Through the good times and the bad times, you push on, you press on because you know God has called you. So God, I pray for people in this room to be strengthened by your spirit, to be refreshed, to be encouraged, to grow in wisdom when they face difficulties like Josie faced them. God, I pray that wisdom would come to them. They would cultivate their hearts. God, they would put you first in everything they do, every decision. And grow in you. In the quiet times. In the hidden places. Sometimes when you think it's about the show, we want, you know, the fancy dress we put on so people see us. God's saying, no, you do it in the quiet place. You do it when nobody's looking. You do it when you you shut your door and you have a conversation with me. You do it at work when nobody's looking. That's the attitude that he wants you to have. And what's done in secret, he says, he rewards. So God, I pray for each person in here to know your love, to know your mercy, your kindness. And God, as we grow in that, as we demonstrate that, as we bless other people, as we serve other people, God, I pray for each person in here to grow, to be fruitful in the name of Jesus. And you know, And if you're in here and you don't know God, I would, I, I would just say to you, look, I have found nothing better in, on this earth, on this planet than a God who is alive and loves me. And as people in this room will testify to that. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, I, I like your message, I don't quite understand it, and you want to know God, you can know God. You can know that God loves you, that he died for you, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay for your sin and offer you eternal life. So that even when you die, even though you die, you shall live. I've not found a better hope in this world than the message God has given us. So if you're here and you want to believe that in your heart, I'm just going to pray. And if you want to pray that in your heart, you can pray with me. So Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he died and that he forgives me of my sin. And I just choose today to accept your love and your forgiveness. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.